been shown round for their edification. He signals to the guard below to take down the dummy. I can conjure it now, lying on my back, rocking the top bunk of the overnight train to Glasgow. But this time, the dummy has a face. Beneath me and all around me, I feel the Royal Scot hurtling through the night, steel wheels clacking remorselessly on the rails. Occasionally, the great beast splits the tomb-black landscape with a midnight shriek, and I listen for an answering call that never comes. I'm going home for the first time in two and a half years, and the thought of what I have to face there fills me with a hot mix of anger and dread. I take another pull at my cigarette and watch the tip glow and die, and the smoke drift and swirl away. Four carefree days ago, I was sitting in my wee attic room in South London. I was having a good spell. Almost a week of sleeping better and drinking less. Maybe the two were connected. My newly polished shoes, army indoctrination, were sitting by the door ready for their sprint to Fleet Street. The spring sun was already banking through the skylight window. I was hunched over the table, nursing a second mug of tea, while reading yesterday's Times, and my own paper, The London Bugle. Know your enemy my old drill sergeant used to say. Besides, I enjoy the adverts on the front of the Times. In their way, they give as clear a picture of Britain as the inside news pages. Stories of a hard-up country where gentlemen were selling their fine leather gloves, or where an ex-officer, RAF, DFC, would make excellent private secretary, where trained mechanics were searching for work as drivers, and war heroes were on the lookout for gardening jobs or other manual exercise. The fruits of victory were bitter enough for some. I supped my tea and counted my blessings. In the last month, I'd started to get a steady trickle of freelance assignments from the Bugle, and there was a chance of a full-time job. I was making enough money to afford food, fags and scotch, not necessarily in that order. But at least I would no longer simply be drinking away the last of my demob money. Two weeks ago, I dragged my flabby body round to Les's boxing academy on the Old Kent Road and, aching limbs apart, I was already getting back a sense of physical well-being. Something I hadn't felt since the build-up and hard training for D-Day. After a few days of the glums last week, I was daring to hope that I was nearing the end of the tunnel. Sunshine on my face would be good. Such was my upbeat mood that I'd been crooning along with Lena Horn and whistling a tuneless descant to Artie Saw on the light programme. Even my first fag tasted sweet, instead of just satisfying a craving. Then the phone rang down in the shared entry. I glanced at my watch. It was just after 7.15. Someone was starting early. I knew Mrs Jackson wouldn't answer unless she'd cranked up her hearing aid. I wondered why her daughters had bothered getting the phone installed. Her voice was so loud it made the device redundant. The other three households in our entry rarely got calls, but were all happy to chip in to pay for the rental. I sprang to my door, still my slippers and collarless. I could have done with another fifteen minutes of paper reading and crossword filling, but maybe the bugle was calling. I dived down the three flights of stairs and grabbed the shiny black set. Yes, hello, Brody here, I gasped. Is that Mr. Douglas Brody? A posh voice, a professional voice, an operator's voice. I got my breath back. Yes, that's me, Doug Brody. Please hold the line.
I have a call for you. Go ahead, caller. Please put your money in now. I heard the clank and rattle of coins going in. Several. At least a bob's worth. Which meant long distance. My mother using her neighbour's phone? An accident. Bad news comes early. A man's voice started up. Scottish accent. West of Scotland. Like mine. Like mine used to be. Is that you, Doogie boy? A bucket of ice splashed down my neck. No one called me Doogie now. It had been Brody for a decade. The voice scratched at my memory, but I couldn't put a face to it. Wouldn't. My mind simply rejected the likelihood, for it was an impossible voice from the days of bows and arrows, spots and whispering girls, of fistfights that ended in bloody lips and trembling anger, of a great betrayal that gnawed at